All right, folks, we have a special treat for you tonight. I'm going over Deathbed Visions. And I'm going to be talking about Deathbed Confessions and even some last words spoken before that final breath is taken. I bet there's some crazy stuff people say at their deathbed. Oh, yeah. Crazy, scary, a little emotional. I mean, the last thing people say before they die, it's bizarre, man. What happens if they don't die and they, like, drop a huge bomb? Yeah, man, what I found is there's a lot of people that confess to things that they have either done themselves or witnessed that they've held on to their entire lives just before they pass. So, I mean, yeah, you could use it as a moment to to get that thing off your chest before you pass, but that would suck to confess and then not die. Like, yeah, I murdered a bunch of these people. <laughs> oh, oh, like, I'm cured. <clears throat> oh, wow, I feel much better. Ugh. Now, I'm going to jump into deathbed vision. So I don't know about you, Britton, but when the veil is thinned at death, people have said to see some interesting things, and I find these cases to be very compelling. Have you heard of any uh, deathbed visions or anything like that? Yeah, I know a lot of people see, like, they'll claim to see family members or, like, deceased relatives or friends, things like that. And some people will see, you know, just random people that they can't explain. Yeah, exactly. With my research, I found that there's two types of deathbed visions. The first being dead relatives, as you were saying, coming to meet the dying person to escort them to the other side. The other would be seeing a new world destined for the sick person to enter. They are more common than you think with people conscious prior to their death. It is said that of the people that are cognizant before they pass, about 60% of them experience these visions. The visions last only around five minutes and are surprisingly similar across nationalities, religions, and culture. And I, I really find that interesting. Yeah, that is really interesting. When you have a lot of different cultures and backgrounds that experience the same thing, it makes it, makes it a lot easier to believe. Right, because you think they would like deviate from that to, right. to a degree at least. Yeah, and I, I think it's... In my own personal opinion, I think if I was on my deathbed and I saw family, that's a comforting thing. Like, hey, you're come on, you're you're gonna be fine. I think that would help me because I don't want to die. I mean, it, it happens to everybody, but to know like you have your own place to go to in your family, that makes it a little bit easier. Uh, definitely closure. Many of nights have I sat there thinking about the death, uh, the heat death of the universe, and just thinking about not existing, and it scares me. Yeah, just the fact of nothing terrifies. Me. Yeah, it terrifies bad. me. So. There have been many scientific studies into the subject, and it has provided compelling evidence of life after death. It has been speculated that these visions happen much more often in the past, but have declined throughout the years due to the use of opioids during people's passing. What are those places called where they like take people to like die comfortably? Like a, a hospice? Yeah, hospice. Or like a, an in-home... Yeah, no, it was a hospice. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So due to the nursing uh, home. the rise of hospices and like having them want to be comfortable, I mean, they're pretty drugged up before they generally yeah. I pass. Mean, they, yeah, the comfort care thing, it's just about making it as comfortable as possible, but a lot of that stuff will, it kind of it shuts clouds things you. off. Yeah. yeah, it shuts your brain off. It kind of shuts everything. It's just for a peaceful, so that makes sense that the opioids came in and the vision stopped. Yep, you're just drooling. So when people are passing, a minority of people report seeing angels or other religious figures and even mythical figures. You could have Thor burst through your door and be like, I'm taking you to Odin land. Ragnarok. Ragnarok. That'd be cool to see Thor come through. Yeah, even though that's that, that would be pretty cool. Most people just see their close relatives that or have passed. Or you're going to see the Kool-Aid man bust through the door. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> So when these people come to visit them, you know, the Kool-Aid man or Thor, the patients will say that they are beckoning them to come to the other side, that they're being escorted. When seeing these apparitions, the patients express great happiness. The feeling overwhelms any anxiety, pain, 
or reservations of going to the other side. Their health ailments, such as their pain, seem to dissipate and their face seems to light up. The patients are assumed not to be hallucinating as they are very lucid and aware of their surroundings. Whether or not the dying person believe in an afterlife is irrelevant. The experience and reactions are the same. Although near-death visions are compelling, they do have their detractors. Some researchers claim that these visions are a product of endorphins released during stressful events, and this may produce something like a near-death experience, particularly by reducing pain and increasing pleasant sensations. Gotta love those endorphins, man. Others suggest that these visions are derived from dimetatrifoline. I'm just going to yeah. say it's, it's DMT, okay? DMT. It's DMT, a psychedelic drug that occurs naturally in some plants. They point out that in some studies, when patients are injected with DMT, that they have visions like a near-death experience. Interesting. Which I've never done DMT. I guess it's a hallucinogen. Uh-huh. Another theory is low oxygen to the brain. It has been long been observed that fighter pilots have experienced near-death experience-like features, such as tunnel vision and at times hallucinations. The last theory, and most accepted, would be it's a product of a dying brain. The theory posulates as these hallucinations are just a byproduct of when the brain cells and the synapses start to die within the brain. When, I mean, when your brain starts to die, I, I think it kind of goes into like a, like a recovery mode or something. It's trying to, I heard that it's trying to keep itself alive through memories and stuff. So I think it's going to be kind of throwing things at you pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, to me, like all these, um, theories don't really add up. Cause I mean like a bunch of endorphins. I mean, that happens when you exercise. Yeah. I'm sure fighter pilots. I mean, I, I don't know if they, I didn't see any reports of them seeing like their relatives, like, you know, in the cockpit next to them. They're like, Hey grandma. Hey grandma. What are you doing here? So this is where it actually gets really interesting to me. One of the more scientific studies done have been d- done by Dr. Christopher Kerr. Dr. Christopher's team has performed at least 1,400 interviews with dying patients with the goal of getting quantitative data. In his first study, they spoke with about 66 patients every day until their death. It was reported that at least 80% of the sample reported at least one deathbed vision before they passed. That would be a hard interview to conduct over and over again, just as people are dying to like, hey, have you experienced this? Have you experienced this? Well, you know, there's always pros and cons, right? Because I think if you were watching someone that was panicking about death for the last couple of weeks of their um, life, and at the very end, you could see that they just kind of accepted it, wasn't afraid of it, I think it would be almost comforting to a degree. Yeah, they, they accepted at that point. You're like, okay, that's good. Does, I mean, to have someone panic before dying would be the saddest thing to witness. Yeah, I agree. So the patients described their experiences as being more real than real and different from normal dreaming. Hmm. Isn't that weird? I guess the word would be surreal. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know how to like, I, I've never thought something was more real than real. So I don't really understand what that means. That Yeah, that throws your whole perception just out the window. Like everything I witness in life is real. But then to have something that's way more real than that, you're like, then what the hell did I live through my entire life? It was a simulation. You know what? Even if it's not, you know, when I'm dying, I'm going to troll everybody and I'm going to yell with my last <laughs> breath. It's a simulation. I can see it now. I knew it. The long troll. There is one thing that I'll talk about later that someone says that's quite interesting. That's like a huge cliffhanger that, that kind of goes off of that. I like it. So keep going with the study. So of these experiences, 72% of them were about seeing the deceased, specifically family members, relatives, or pets. I think it's cool, like maybe seeing your pets. When I was growing up, I had like four dogs. So 
I would love to see my dogs or even if, my, you know, my cat would come say hey. <laughs> we have four dogs now, my wife and I, and I swear to God, when she passes on, all she's going to see is dogs. Like, I, I'm not even going to be in the vision. It'll just be all the dogs and pets we've ever owned. You're going to have a wolf pack. Oh, yeah. We already have a wolf pack, <laughs> dude. Their visions uh, became more frequent as uh, they tiptoed closer to death. So the sicker they got, the more they saw those visions. Right. That makes sense. His next study was set out to discover what these visions meant to the patient. What were the common themes and meanings? What was derived from the study was the most common theme was of a comforting presence. When they saw the dead, it was always overwhelmingly positive, provide a sense of reunion and the feeling that one was not alone. Patients with traumatic pasts would relive those moments for a time, causing negative emotions, but before they passed, it would seem for them to get close. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. It's good that they're seeing positive things because if like you open your eyes and saw like a devil hovering over in your bed, that'd be that'd be creepy. Yeah, we'll have to talk about sleep paralysis in another episode. You know, it's just really interesting because you would think that if you saw a ghost, even if it was a relative, like um, like say like you saw like my grandpa, he passed away, mm-hmm. I would probably be afraid. Yeah, right. It's- but for some reason, they just have an overwhelming, comforting presence. And that's just really interesting to me. I think it's just the brain. Again, it's the brain saying, hey, it's all right. This is the end of the road, buddy. This is a good thing. Time to jump off the diving board. Let's jump into some specific stories. Dr. Christopher Kerb talks about one of his patients that was a war veteran. He would have frequent nightmares of World War II, not when he was storming the beaches, but when he was coming back and picking up the dead soldiers to bring them home. He carried a lot of survivor guilt throughout his life. Soon, however, before his passing, these nightmares became more neutral. He talked about how he would be on the beach and a dead soldier would talk to him, telling him that when he passes, his fellow soldiers were going to take him to the other side. That's pretty cool. It's poetic, he, really. He spent his whole wartime carrying the, you know, the dead and the wounded across the, across the field to only be told, hey man, when you, when you go, we'll, we'll carry you across the way. Yeah, exactly. Here's another story. This one is about Sue. She's 93 years old, Buddhist, um, living in the Bay Area. And on the verge of death, she has a younger sister who is living in China who is thought to be alive. Sue talks about visions she's having while sleeping, about her husband coming to visit her to reassure that he is going to take her to the next world. Her dreams, however, start to include her sister, accompanied by her husband, telling her to get ready to come home with them. Confused about seeing her sister, she talks to the hospice nurse, whom had prior knowledge of her sister dying two days prior. They were withholding that information as to not upset her. The nurses told her the news shortly thereafter, giving Sue relief and the reason why she was seeing her sister. The timing in the story is phenomenal and gives validity to the visions as real versus a projection of a dying brain. Yeah, to have information, like to see your sister thinking she's alive but having her be dead and then you know, find out she's dead, you're like, okay, that makes sense. Creepy. Let's jump into another story. This one's about Doris. She had just given birth to a child. She had a weak heart, and it's failing. Doctors are sure she is near death. During her passing, she starts to panic, saying, oh, 
Don't let it get dark. It's so dark. It's getting darker and darker. She is full of anxiety. Then all of a sudden looks towards one part of the room and she smiles. All grief seeming to wash away from her face. She states again, oh, lovely, lovely. The nurse asks, what is lovely? She replies with, what I see. What do you see? The nurse asks. And she says, lovely brightness, wonderful beings. Why, it's my father. Oh, he's glad I'm coming. He's so glad. It would be perfect, but only if her husband could come too. She then focuses on another part of the room and says, why, it's father. Oh, he's so glad. I'm coming. He is so glad. It would be perfect then. She then sees her sister Vita, whose death occurred three weeks earlier and she was not informed of. The staff even took certain precautions to make sure she couldn't figure out that her sister had passed away prior, such as not letting people come in in dark funeral clothing. They were filtering through the letters she was getting, but somehow she just knew because she saw her apparition. Yeah, I know a lot of the times they won't, if you're on your deathbed, they won't let sad things like that get to you because that can kind of spur you know enable the past exactly yeah i mean it gets you to that point where it really kind of pushes you closer to death so it is crazy to know that these these individuals saw their dead relatives before they were even told that they were dead yeah weird so here's a cool story did you know what steve jobs last words were no so when steve job was passing he was accompanied by his sister mona thompson she was sitting at his bedside during his last moments She claimed he started focusing on one part of the room and started smiling and exclaiming, Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Wow. People speculate he was viewing the next world and he was about to enter. It's Apple world. Yeah. It's like, it's all Apple. Holy shit. We win. Fuck you, Bill Gates. We did it. We dominated. We have it. It's Apple everything. It's called (laughs) iHeaven. iHeaven. I like it. I mean, I own everything Apple, so... Now, here's another cool historical reference that some researchers are claiming to be a deathbed vision. So, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson died within hours of each other on July 4th, 1886. Coincidentally, that was 50 years after the Declaration of Independence was signed. They were originally brothers-in-arms when founding this country, but later became political rivals. Because of their different ideologies, their friendships dwindled. Later in life, Adams would write Jefferson, and they became close again. So back in 1886, when John Adams was on his deathbed, he said, Thomas Jefferson survives. Jefferson had died three hours previously, and there was no way Adams could have known about his death in this, uh, in this time frame just because of how communications worked at the moment. He didn't have a cell phone. Right. You don't just post on Facebook. So that about wraps up deathbed visions. Um, I will say one thing on here. I think it was a very interesting topic to study. I had no idea about how common they are and how they don't really deviate from each other. It honestly has given me at least some type of comfort when it comes to my eventual passing, which will happen to everybody. I'm staying on the topic of deathbed. It's not, I guess you could call them stories, but they're more, I mean, confessions. And I did find some pretty crazy last few things that were said. But I mean, on the topic of this, I mean, if if our listeners have a story of of someone they know that may have witnessed or seen something on their deathbed, I'd be really curious to hear about it. Send us us an email. I really want to know. Um, The first thing that I'll talk about as far as a deathbed confession. So this story actually comes from a woman who worked at a nursing home. Uh, She was responsible for taking care of a patient who knew that she was at the end of her life and had a secret that she no longer wanted to hold on to. You know, like we were saying earlier, when you carry something through life, this is your last chance to get it off your chest before you die, you know? It's almost like a repentance, right? The way that um, Christians kind of talk about it, that you just got to repent at the last moment and you're good. And what I found, too, is a lot of people that 
had a confession would go on like through life saying they didn't really believe in a god or anything but at the end of their life they start to get panicked like oh shit what if there is something like that after i need to i need to agree and get this off my chest in like some last minute confession so it's kind of interesting but this patient uh, again knowing she's at the end of her life she went on to tell of a time from her childhood when her father went out drinking with friends on his drive home he struck and killed a little girl she was able to give very specific details to the where and when, which gave it a lot of credibility. The girl had only been around three years old, and instead of alerting the authorities, her father and his drinking buddies hid the girl's body under the porch steps and never spoke of it to anyone again. Why under the porch? I don't know. And I mean, this story to me, it's, it's interesting because if this guy went out drinking with his buddies at night, why is a three-year-old outside by the road in the middle of the night? So... I guess he never spoke of it, but she, he must have told her because she's now admitting it to the nurse. And she, you know, she felt guilty her whole life and felt that someone else needed to know about the burden she carried. So it's a little, it's a little wacky. It's a little intense, but I mean, that's hard. Cause like if one of like your close family members killed someone by accident, um, even if they were negligent, I mean, would you cover it up for him? That's a hard question. It is a hard question. I don't know. I mean, it's, I guess it just depends. I, I don't know, man. That, that's a tough one. So this story tells of a great uncle that would share a secret that changed the family. The guy who shared this online goes on to explain that his great uncle on his mother's side of the family admitted to killing his first wife. She had supposedly caught him harming the neighbor's son of five years old. He was living in Ireland at the time and moved to America shortly after. Upon arriving in the States, he remarried, had several children and eventually grandchildren and lived a very happy life. Upon hearing the story, the family was clearly shaken up, and supposedly, he died three minutes after telling the story. Wow, that's good timing. So, I mean, I guess his wife found him, you know, hitting the neighborhood kid, and then he's like, oh, you can't know that. So he kills her, moves to America, and lives a good old American dream. So this story talks about a a gal by the name of Geraldine Kelly. Uh, She would tell her children that their father, John Kelly, had died in a motorcycle accident. In 2004, while on her deathbed, Geraldine disclosed to the children that she had shot John in the head and then stuffed his body into a storage facility freezer for years. How do you get away with that? I mean, did they not have a funeral? Like, did his family ask questions? I don't know. That I thought of that too. It's like, okay, where where's his body? Like, how'd they get his body in the coffin or whatever? I mean, a motorcycle accident. At least they didn't put him under the porch, but okay. No, this is a freezer. Authorities found and searched the storage locker where they found John's well-preserved body and were able to identify him based on several tattoos that he had on his body. So this next one takes place in the year 1975 where Joan Harris was found murdered, causing authorities to believe that she was killed by the infamous British serial killer, the Yorkshire Ripper. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a pretty big case back then. Uh, Police soon ruled the Ripper out, but had no further suspects in this case, so it went cold. Now, if we fast forward to 2008, when a 60-year-old man by the name of Christopher Smith, who was dying from cancer, sat down to write a three-page confession explaining the death. The note said, and I quote, To whoever it concerns, I would like to put the record straight. I can't go on with the guilt. I am truly sorry for all the pain I have caused to anyone. Please believe me when I say I am sorry. Please, God, help my family who I worship. I have been out of trouble for over 20 years, so please, God, help me. I just, like, don't feel like they're actually really sorry, because if they were, they would want to face the repercussions. I mean, right such away. a cowardly way. Yeah. He's dying from cancer. He's like, okay, now's the time to confess right. to this. Like, oh, yeah, now you feel bad, man? Like, I don't know. Now, obviously, you can't just take a written confession from that long ago to really pinpoint it, so... 
They did a DNA test in 2011, and it went on to prove his confession was absolutely true. Interesting. It's kind of crazy. So this last story that I have is kind of cool. After police received a tip, they discovered skeletal remains of a man by the name of Mohammed Taki, who was 53 years old. He was buried under a patio for 12 years. The damn I porch. I don't know what it is about burying people under patios. I guess it's because they... But you, you know about my patio, right? No. With the, with the little door? Oh, the, you have the, the little cement room under your patio. Yeah, that's creepy. I'll that's take pictures, weird. maybe. I wonder if you were to break out the concrete underneath that, what you'd find. I don't know, man. It's got electricity. But anyways, keep going. You got a sledgehammer? The police had to use radar equipment to even reveal the body under several layers of concrete. See, there's concrete in this one, too. The remains were found lying in the fetal position with the wrists and ankles tightly taped together. There wasn't enough on the body to identify remains. However, when showing pictures to Taki's friend Roy Heath, who originally reported him missing, he burst into tears, recognizing the hat in the photos. Roy Heath, aged 52, went on to confess to strangling Mohammed after a heated argument at his Fulham flat. Roy was residing in a West London hospice. So same wow. thing, he, he on his deathbed and he can't live with the grief any longer, so that's the time to confess to such things. Do you really think it's like they want to stop feeling the grief or are they afraid of like judgment when they die? I think it's a bit of both. I mean, I, I think if you can go your whole life holding in, I don't see how the last few minutes would make a difference unless you wanted to... Unless, unless you were afraid of what happens after or you wanted to be... Provide like, them closure, the family. So those are some stories about deathbed confessions. But the other thing I wanted to talk about were um, some really creepy and cryptic last words or phrases from those who are on the deathbed that I wanted to share. Some of these are, are pretty spooky. Some of them are pretty funny. It might be a little, little interesting, but I, I, I got a pretty good, uh, had a pretty good time looking these up. So the first one, uh, there was a patient in the cardiac ICU who was on DNR, the do not resuscitate, and on comfort care. Just before passing, he had moments where he would really like just start to swear, almost like he had Tourette's, like just out of nowhere to start screaming and swearing, but then would have peaceful moments where he would ask to see his brothers, who both were dead. During a rough heart rhythm episode, he looked at the nurse and said, hey, what's your name? The nurse said, well, my name is Cabe. He said, what do you do here? He said, I'm a nurse. After this, he went quiet, and the patient said, fuck you. I like died him. 20 minutes later. Wow, I really like him. <laughs> so his last words, literally, fuck you. That is, he's a cool guy. I mean, this guy's trying to keep you comfortable. I mean, that's kind of harsh. I like it. Well, I think that's, I think we found your famous last words. Fuck you, Fuck man. you. So this next one talks about a grandfather being on his deathbed when suddenly he said, they have no eyes. That's And creepy. passed away shortly after. That's the long trail right there. <laughs> See? So, I mean, like, can you imagine, like, you're all gathered around the grandfather, and then he goes quiet and goes, they have no eyes. All the viewers here need to make a pact that that's what we're going to say regardless of what we see. <laughs> they have no eyes. We're going to start something that the afterlife has no eyes? Yes. Okay. Right uh, here. I'm down. Start it now. So this one's a little funny, um, and I, I was... This is the one I was talking about earlier when you said that you're going to be a troll. Um, but this man on his deathbed, literally before passing, said, oh, you're not going to believe this, and died. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, like, biggest cliffhanger I've ever seen. Oh, you're not going to believe this. I think what he was going to say is they have no eyes, but, you know, we, we don't know. They don't have eyes. This one comes from a nurse from a patient on comfort care. At the end of her shift, she checked on a patient who had a rough condition but was in mostly good spirits. The nurse asked how she was doing, and she responded by saying, the old gray mare ain't what she used to be, and wished the nurse a good night. 
just <laughs> going out in the sunset. Yeah, I mean, that's, that, that's it. The next morning, the nurse came back to check on the patient and found out she had passed the night before. So, pretty intense. It's like a Western movie. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> the old gray mare ain't what she used to be. This one comes from a funeral director's apprentice. They tell of going to a nursing home, and while walking down the hall, one of the patients opened their door, saw the stretcher, and said, I'll see you boys next week. And next week, guess who they stopped to pick up? That's really convenient. I mean, he was just looking out for him. Like, hey, you need to be ready for this. And just, just let you guys know, this is what next week's going to look like for you guys. This room right here. You don't have to walk as far down the hall. So this one's a little silly, but again, kind of interesting. A nurse had a patient who had recently suffered a stroke. The recovery was going well, but the patient got pneumonia shortly after recovery. At 4 a.m. during a check-in, the patient looked at the nurse and said, you took his girl and you will burn in hell for it. Jesus. <laughs> so the nurse, turns out the nurse had taken his girlfriend from a friend of his. I'm not following. So his girlfriend was his friend's girlfriend. Ah, so all right. Fair you enough. took his girl... You're going to burn in hell for it. What a dick. I think that's a little extreme to steal a girlfriend and go to hell, but, I mean, maybe she just wasn't happy. I don't know. I mean, it's up to her, really. What a home wrecker. <laughs> You're going to burn in hell for home wrecking. So, I mean, that, that kind of wraps up that portion of it. There wasn't a whole lot, but the idea of the deathbed confessions and stories has been a topic that I've been fascinated with for a while, just because I think the age-old question really is... What happens when you die? I mean, it depends on who you talk to, really, but... It's really the only mystery really left, I feel like, for, like, humankind. Other than what's under our oceans. Hell, you know, it's Madonna. Space. Madonna's under the ocean? Yeah. Jesus Christ, okay. I'm just saying, Maybe like, Elvis? Almost everything can be explained scientifically if you have enough data except death. Right. That's, that's my theory. Or that, that, that's what I'm saying. Right. But, I mean, I want to be comfortable when I die... But the fact that when they pump you up with so much opioids and stuff, I might be like, no, leave it away. I want to I see these things. I'll say max it up. We're going all <laughs> warm and up. nice. Done. Yeah, I might. it depends on what I'm dying from. I mean, if it's something super painful, just load me up. <laughs> I don't want to feel anything. All right, guys. I just want to say thanks for tuning in tonight. Um, I'm actually really happy with the amount of viewer submissions that we've gotten so far. Um, we're going to start doing episodes on that pretty soon. Absolutely. Emails are starting to come in. Thank you guys so much for the suggestions. Keep them coming, really. The email address is entertheabysspod at gmail.com. Please keep sending us suggestions. We love to research this stuff. And as always, thank you for entering the abyss. Until next week.